On the 4th of May 1945, a family in Arnhem, Holland would emerge from the cellar they had been using as a shelter from the heavy bombardment outside to find the English soldiers finally made it to their town. It had been a long time coming for the residents of Arnhem. The young girl leaving the cellar was severely malnourished. It was the day of her 16th birthday, and by now she had already experienced the Nazi occupation of her town, worked for the Dutch resistance, witnessed the transportation of countrymen to concentration camps, and faced on the infamous winter of hunger. This new age of peace would take her to London, where she would begin a career path the likes of which very few people experience. It may have been hard for the teenage girl leaving the safe space in 1945 to predict, or even comprehend, but she would go on to be an icon, still adored today. Welcome to Her Story, the podcast that delves into the lives of women you most likely have heard of, but you may not know their real story. I'm your host, Megan Musgrove, and today we'll be exploring Audrey Hepburn and her story. From the outside, you'd be forgiven for thinking Audrey lived the kind of charm life akin to some modern-day fairy princess. The poster girl for beauty and elegance, her first starring film role at age 25 was of a princess. At the time of her screen test, William Waller, the director of Roman Holiday, had already auditioned thousands of young women for the role of Princess Anne, and none of them had what he was looking for. They'd not been able to find anyone who could convincingly pass her a princess. Not until Audrey was screen tested. The screen test has gone down in history as one of the best out there. After her initial audition, the camera was left to roll and she was asked about her experiences during the war. It's definitely worth the watch, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes if you do want to check it out. Born Audrey Kathleen Ruston on 4th of May 1929 in Brussels, Audrey began her life with a certain level of privilege. Her Dutch mother was a baroness and her father was an Anglo-Irish businessman, who would claim that he was descended from the Hepburn line with links to the Scottish royal family. This fabrication should go some way in giving you an idea of the type of man Audrey's father was. He had far-right leanings, and when they lived in London during the early 1930s, he and the Baroness helped recruit members and collect funds for the British Union of Fascists. They would also spend time in Germany during the early 1930s, praising the way Hitler was rebuilding the country. Audrey's mother would eventually take a step back from this kind of view. Her father would not. Audrey was quite open about the turbulent relationship of her parents and would talk about how she would hide under the dinner table when they would argue to try and escape the situation. Eventually, in 1935, her father would walk away from the family. When asked in later life about her experiences of the war, she would say instead that her father leaving was the most traumatic event of her life. In 1937, she was sent to boarding school in Kent, in England, while her mother remained in Arnhem in the Netherlands. This boarding school was not far from where her father was currently living, yet he never bothered to visit her. In 1939, with Europe becoming engulfed in the flames of war, Audrey's mother decided to bring Audrey home from Arnhem, fearing that England was too at risk of bombing and she would not be safe. With hindsight, we know that she may have been better off staying in England, but in September 1939, Audrey boarded the very last plane leaving the UK and made her way to Holland, where she would stay for the duration of the war. It wasn't long before Holland fell under German occupation. Arnhem itself would be occupied by the SS, rather than just the general armed forces, adding a whole extra level of danger to the situation for the citizens. The family's ancestral home would be confiscated by the Germans, and several family members would experience the full force of the Nazi atrocities. Spending your formative years in this kind of environment would have a profound effect on anyone, 
The experience that Audrey had made it seem like she was just trying to make the best of a bad situation. Her main passion in life was ballet, and she had dreams of becoming a professional ballerina. During the occupation, she and other children would hold secret dance recitals, helping to raise funds for the Dutch resistance. In her own words, she would talk about how once the dance was over, no one would applaud for fear of making too much noise and being found, but they would simply wave their approval instead. This time gave her something positive to focus her mind on and a dream to work towards when the war was over. She was so dedicated, in fact, that when her ballet slippers wore through and there was no way she could get replacements, she would dance in wooden ones instead. Along with helping to raise money for the Dutch resistance with the dance recitals during this time, she actually worked with them despite her age and hid messages in her dance shoes. Audrey also noted in a 1951 interview about how she ran food parcels and messages to Allied pilots who had been shot down over the Netherlands. The fact she was fluent in English helped, but also a teenage girl was less likely to rouse suspicion from the German police and could move around more freely than a grown man. Obviously this was incredibly dangerous, especially at a time when simply walking down the street could put you in harm's way, especially in the latter war years, and the Nazis were rounding up anyone and everyone for transportation for slave labour. There is a story of young Audrey who happened to be walking down the road at the wrong time and was spotted by an SS officer who already had a group of young girls rounded up for transportation and was waiting for backup. Audrey barely managed to escape such a close call. There are two stories surrounding the events and either she made a run for it immediately and the soldier thought it best to stay with the group he already had instead of chasing one lone girl or she was actually loaded onto the transport truck and managed to escape when the truck stopped, rolling underneath and running into the woods for safety. But regardless of which escape story is true, danger really did surround her at every turn. As the war years wore on, the struggle for the people of Arnhem became more difficult, enduring periods of food shortages. Audrey would later talk about how they would grind up tulip bulbs to form a kind of flour they could use for eating, and how when there was no food available, she would drink as much water as she could stomach in an effort to feel full, and spend longer in bed to conserve energy. When Arnhem was liberated, teenage Audrey weighed just £75, and suffered from various medical issues such as jaundice, anemia and edema. She was given several chocolate bars by British soldiers during the liberation and promptly devoured them, causing her to immediately throw them back up because her body was just not used to the food. The malnutrition she suffered during these years would be one of the key reasons her body shape and weight generally stayed the same throughout her life and she would struggle to gain weight. But with a new sense of optimism sweeping Europe, it was time for Audrey to follow the dreams that had kept her going during the terrible war years. After some time spent in Amsterdam, she and her mother then moved to London, where she began to take classes with Ballet Rambert after winning a partial scholarship. But it was here that her dreams were dashed. Partly due to her height, she was now 5 foot 7, and partly because she had not been able to keep up the same level of training as her counterparts, in a way that she put it, the other girls who had their Anderson shelters and full meals. Marie Rambert told her that she could never be a prima ballerina. At best, she'd be part of the corps, or even go into teaching. Not one to be deterred or to wallow in self-pity, Audrey grieved for her lost dream, and then moved on to a new one. She found work as a dancer in London's West End, earning a relatively decent wage for the time, but also taking on a lot of work, doing two shows a night, seven days a week. But even as part of the chorus in these shows, people would pick her out. It was just something about her that made you take notice. The kind of star quality you can never achieve through practice. You simply have to be born with it. Small roles in a few films followed suit, but nothing that would really create any momentum. It wouldn't be until 1951 that Audrey would get the first of what would be called a reasonable size break. 
While shooting in Monaco for a film called Monte Carlo Baby, Audrey would just happen to be passing the famed writer Colette, who was in the process of searching for a lead for the Broadway adaptation of her novella Gigi. As soon as she spotted her, Colette declared, there is my Gigi, and Audrey got the gig. The stage show was a complete success, and would set the wheels in motion, but it would be the next project that would catapult her to the stratospheric level at which she would sit for the rest of her life. As mentioned towards the beginning of the episode, Audrey was cast in the film Roman Holiday, alongside Gregory Peck, following an arduous search for just the right actress to play the role of Princess Anne. If you haven't seen the movie, definitely go and watch it, but a brief overview of the plot is Audrey's princess is embarking on a European tour, finishing in Rome. She's tired and fed up with the sheltered life she's living and sneaks out of her room during the night to explore Rome, though she had previously been given a sedative before making her escape to calm her down and falls asleep near the Colosseum. Before she does fall asleep, she meets Peck's American journalist character, Joe Bradley, who basically gets stuck babysitting this now unconscious young woman and reluctantly lets her sleep in his apartment because there's nowhere else to leave her. Before she wakes up the next day, he discovers who she really is, but she doesn't know this, and persuades her to have a day around Rome, which she plans to write an exclusive newspaper article on. The day is spent riding Vespers, eating gelato, and dancing on the banks of the River Tiber. During this time, the two... Spoiler alert, if you don't want to know the ending, just turn the sound down for a couple of seconds. Fall in love, but have to return to their own lives. And obviously Peck's character never writes that article in the end. At the end of the filming, Gregory Peck, who was a big star at this point, tells the director that he needs to give Audrey top billing with him. Such a thing was completely unheard of. Audrey was basically a Hollywood nobody at this point. But Peck was adamant, stating, she's going to be the biggest thing once this comes out and I'll look like an idiot if she's not giving billing with me. He was absolutely right. Following the film's release, Audrey became a sensation and would win the Oscar for Best Actress at the ripe old age of 25 in her first outing in a lead role. She also found time to win a Tony that same year for the stage show Ondine, which she had participated in when Roman Holiday was in post-production. But while Roman Holiday would be the film to make Audrey a movie star, it would be her next film that would cement her place as a star icon. What makes Audrey such an intriguing star icon is that, for her time, she was one of a kind. During Hollywood in the 50s, the star was very much the box and blonde shell look. Think Marilyn Monroe. Tie dresses, pencil skirts to show off the hourglass figure, with kitten heels to add that extra wiggle. Audrey was the complete other end of the spectrum. The slim figure dressed in a well-cut yet sensible item of clothing and ballet flats. The kind of look we associate with chic today did not really exist back then. Not until Audrey. Not until Audrey in 1954 Sabrina. Sabrina is a Cinderella story, where a young chauffeur's daughter is in love with one of the sons of the rich employers, but is invisible to him. She then heads to Paris for culinary school, where she experiences her great transformation, returning back home now a stylish and refined woman, capable of catching the eye of not just the original man she pined over during her youth, but also his brother. There's a bit more to the plot than that, but you should take the time to watch the film if you haven't seen it. This film was the beginning of Audrey's life as one of the best-dressed women in the world, as well as the start of an important lifelong relationship. To dress her for the film, she was sent to Paris for a meeting with a young French designer called Hubert de Givenchy. Givenchy was told a Miss Hepburn was there to see him, and he naturally assumed it was Catherine. Roman Holiday had yet to be released, so Audrey wasn't well known yet. Instead, Givenchy was greeting this, as Audrey herself would put it, skinny little nobody. He immediately dismissed her, saying he did not have time, but eventually her charm won him round and he allowed her access to his previous collection where she could select several outfits she thought would be suitable. If you've seen Sabrina, you'll know that her choices were completely on point. Thanks to her instincts and good eye, 
the outfits she selected would become iconic. And despite their not quite ideal first meeting, Audrey and Givenchy would go on to form a close friendship. She became his muse as well as his friend. Givenchy would go on to dress Audrey in many of her most famous screen roles, including the iconic little black dress in Breakfast at Tiffany's. She in turn would inspire the creation of his 1957 fragrance, L'Entourdi. But along with the professional successes, Givenchy was perhaps the most consistent man in Audrey's life. He saw her through two divorces as well as serving as the executive of her estate. For her 60th birthday, he had 60 rose bushes planted in her beloved home garden. This relationship would become a lifelong love for Audrey. Unfortunately, the same could not really be said about her actual romantic relationships. Just as Audrey's career was taking off in Hollywood, she broke off an engagement to Englishman James Hansen, stating she'd been too busy during their two-year engagement to plan their wedding and realised things would not change once they were married. After the filming of Roman Holiday, she was introduced to a friend of Gregory Peck's called Mel Ferrer. Mel Ferrer was an overly confident man who was 12 years Audrey senior. At the time, he was in the final part of his third marriage, though this was the second marriage to the same woman, and came from good standing within New York society, but disappointed his mother by choosing to pursue a career on stage and screen. Ferrer would be instantly taken with Audrey. Audrey, on the other hand, was keeping her options open. Around this time, she would actually go on a date with a young JFK when he was still a senator. While Mel was attempting to pursue Audrey, she began filming Sabrina, and sparks immediately ignited between her and co-star William Holden. Holden at this time was something of a golden boy in Hollywood, and a firm favourite of Sabrina's director, Billy Wilder. He was also known as quite the playboy, and also happened to be married. During filming, the two began an affair, and Audrey began pitching her life together. That was until she found out that Holden had had an irreversible vasectomy, Perhaps sensible foresight from Holden's long-suffering wife, who was aware of his infidelity, and this way he could avoid any accidents. But this was a deal-breaker for Audrey, who broke off the relationship as soon as she realised she would not be a mother if she remained with Holden. Being a mother was something she craved over everything else. Audrey moved on from Holden, finally going all in with Ferrer. The same could not be said for Holden. Years later, when asked about the love of his life, he would simply reply with, Audrey. It was through her marriage with Ferrer that Audrey would be able to fulfil the role she most desperately wanted to. In 1960, she gave birth to her first child, Sean, though her past mother had not been a smooth one. In 1959, whilst filming the western The Unforgiven and was pregnant, she was thrown from a horse and suffered a miscarriage. It was in this period leading up to the birth of Sean that Audrey admitted was the closest I came to feeling like I was going to lose my mind. All Audrey wanted was children, and the struggle to become a mother was a heartbreaking period for her. While her marriage to Ferrer lasted 14 years, it was not quite the fairy tale romance you would assume Audrey Hepburn would enjoy. They had the successes, both personal and professional, starring in several projects together, but Audrey's star always shone brighter than Ferrer's, which for a man of his ego caused underlying tensions, and they would eventually divorce. In 1968, Audrey would meet the Italian psychiatrist Andrea Dotti. Through this marriage, Audrey would have a second son, Luca, in 1970. But ultimately, the marriage officially ended in 1982, not helped at all by Dottie's incredibly public infidelity during their 13-year marriage. Whilst Audrey was on bed rest at home during her pregnancy, Dottie was repeatedly photographed leaving nightclubs in Rome with a string of women. Audrey would say of both her marriages that she stayed in them longer than she should have for the sake of her children. But finally, Audrey would meet someone who embodied everything she deserved in a life partner. 
1980, she met Robert Walders. At the time of their meeting, Audrey was in the midst of her separation with Dottie, and Rob was mourning the passing of his wife, actress Merle Oberon. Their initial meetings began in a very platonic kind of way, building a friendship over dinners and long telephone conversations. It was one of those amazing fated-to-meet moments, though, as Audrey learned that Rob had grown up only 10 miles from her during the war years. They were able to discuss their experiences from time to time, understanding each other in a way most people could never do. Though the two would never marry, Audrey was quoted when asked, why mess with a good thing? They were as good as. Having all but retired from her film career, they spent their time at Audrey's farmhouse home in Switzerland. Audrey loved a quiet life, being able to garden and spend time around her dogs. She would actually buy Rob a dog for his 50th birthday, as he'd never owned a dog before. Though despite the desire for a quiet existence, Audrey would then find a role she would consider the most important work of her life. In 1988, Audrey became a goodwill ambassador for the charity UNICEF, a position she did not take lightly. Her own experience with hunger during World War II greatly influenced her decision to take the role. In her own words, she said, I can testify what UNICEF means to children because I was amongst those who received food and medical relief right after World War II. There's a big difference between starving and malnourished, of course, but I was very, very undernourished. Her work would take her to some of the most devastated places on the planet. Her compassion and dedication took her to the very front lines of the work being carried out. We're used to seeing it now, celebrities getting involved at the forefront of humanitarian work. We're probably all familiar with the images of Princess Diana or Angelina Jolie carrying out charity work. But it wasn't so much a common thing when Audrey Hepburn began. Her status was such that whenever she made an appeal for donations on TV, UNICEF could expect to receive almost a million dollars in donations. She tirelessly gave interviews, putting her skills into being fluent in six languages to good use. She participated in events where she could go, and she even addressed the US Congress. As Rob, who was by her side during the work, would recall, it was 24 hours a day in terms of preparation, the speeches, then the field trips. Her final trip would be in September 1992 to Somalia. Audrey described it as walking, quote, into a nightmare. I have seen famine in Ethiopia and Bangladesh, but I've seen nothing like this. After returning from Somalia, she sought medical advice in LA for severe stomach pains, thinking it may have been related to the malaria tablet she'd been taking during the recent trip. The test showed something much worse. Audrey was diagnosed with colon cancer. With help from her longtime friend Givenchy, a private plane was arranged to fly Audrey back to her home in Switzerland, where she was able to enjoy a final Christmas at home, surrounded by family and close friends. She would pass away at her home on the 20th of January 1993, just 63 years old. Audrey's legacy lives on to this day. On the surface, her legacy sits in the social consciousness as a beautiful woman with a bright smile and a little black dress. In reality, as with all things, her tale is much deeper than that. There was a sadness to Audrey, sometimes the load on her slender shoulders more than a single person should have to carry. But at the heart of it, she was simply a good person. She pushed through the darker times and continued to love. She used her experiences during her childhood to effect massive charitable change. She always gave her all when working on a film project, with no drama or scandal surrounding her. It wouldn't be a terrible thing for us all to be a little bit more Audrey. Thank you for listening to this episode of Her Story. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts from, share on social media, or just tell a friend. The podcast is written and narrated by me. It's produced by John Ward. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram, 
at underscore her story podcast underscore. I will link to it in the show notes. On the Instagram, you'll find hints for future episodes. And I'd also love for you to get in touch if you have any suggestions for anyone that you want to hear in a future episode. And if I haven't already got them scheduled in to appear, I'd love to look at including them. Thanks. If you're interested in learning more about Audrey Hepburn, there's a list of reading materials in the show notes, along with some film recommendations if you fancy having an evening with some classic cinema. But of all her films, my personal favourites that I will always recommend are Roman Holiday and Charade. The pairing with Cary Grant is simply wonderful. I also recommend checking out the 2020 documentary Audrey. It does an amazing job of highlighting the underlying sadness that followed her throughout her life. And finally, if you have any spare funds available, please consider making a donation to UNICEF if you can. The podcast will be back next week with episode two in our Golden Age of Hollywood series, Her Story. See you then.